نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily the praise belongs to Allah, we praise Him, seek His assistance and forgiveness and we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of ourselves and the evil consequences of our deeds. Whoever Allah guides, there is no one that can lead him astray and whoever Allah leads astray, there is no one that can guide him. I bear witness that nothing deserves to be worshipped except Allah alone and that He has no partners or associates and I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his slave servant and his messenger. Uh, we'd like to continue in this, our third in a series of lectures concerning Ulum uh, al-Hadith or particularly Mustalah al-Hadith, that uh, branch of the sciences of Hadith which deals with the classification uh, of Hadith in consideration of the narratives or the breaks in the chain of narratives or those matters related to the text of the hadith and though that classification its primary objective is to make a distinction between those hadith which are authentic and those which are unauthentic in this uh, course we began in the first lecture with an introduction to the sciences of hadith and some basic terminology uh, and the differences between terminology such as al-isnad and al-sanad and al-athar and khabar and hadith and so on and last week in the second lecture we talked about some specifics related to mustalah al-hadith and we divided it into three main categories although there are, there are other categories or other ways to organize or to break down the study of Al-Mustalah but we said last week as a general outline of what we will cover in this uh, in these series of lectures we said that we would deal with uh, those things which relate specifically to the number of narrators or reporters at each level in the chain of narrators and we said that primarily Hadith will be divided into two categories Al-Khabar Al-Mutawatir and Al-Khabar Al-Ahad and Al-Khabar Al-Mutawatir we will discuss in more detail the linguistic and technical definition of it but we said that briefly it means that or those hadith which have innumerable chains of narrators as opposed to those hadith which have a small number of chains of narrators uh, one or two or three or a small number which is under the category of Al-Khabar Al-Ahad and we also said that Al-Khabar Al-Ahad is further divided into uh, three categories Al-Gharib which is meaning that there is one narrator on at least one of the levels of the chain of narrators and Aziz has two at least two or more and Mashhur three or more 
Then we said, related to the acceptance or rejection of hadith, hadith are divided into two types, al-maqbool and al-mardood. Al-maqbool means the hadith which are accepted, and al-mardood means those which are rejected. And under the categories of accepted hadith, we said last week uh, that the primary categories of hadith are sahih and hasan, under the acceptable hadith. And sahih and hasan may also be further divided into as-sahih and as-sahih li-ghayrihi, meaning the hadith which is authentic, and the other is the hadith which is authentic due to supporting evidences from other narrations. And al-hasan, the hadith which is a good, acceptable proof, may also uh, be divided further into al-hasan li-ghayrihi, which means the hadith is good and acceptable due to supporting other supporting narrations. Under the rejected hadith, we said that hadith which are rejected are called da'if, hadith da'if, and we discussed briefly the reasons why hadith may rejected, may be rejected or classified under the category of da'if, and there are primarily two reasons, a break in the chain of narrators or critical remarks, unfavorable remarks concerning any one of the reporters. Uh, a third consideration is what is called al-jahala, and it means that the person, the narrator, one of the narrators or more, is either unknown or his condition is unknown. Yani his acceptability or unacceptability as a narrator is unknown. So we said that these are the reasons why hadith may be classified as weak. It has some kind of break in the chain and there are various categories such as muallaq, al-mursal, al-munqati'a, al-mu'adal, and so on. Uh, and critical remarks are primarily concerned with dubbed, yani the accuracy of the person in reporting what they heard, do they report it accurately or not, and al-adala, it means their character or their trustworthiness, yani the character of the person, is he of good character, and so on. Both of these are considerations. And as for al-jahala al-rawi, yani it means, it's from, yani basically it means unknown, majhul. But actually, it doesn't mean necessarily that the person is unknown. Sometimes the person is known. Majhul al-ayn means that the, pers- the name of the narrator is known, but only one person reported from him and they didn't certify his credibility. So they said this person is majhul al-ayn. Yani they don't know about his credibility. As for majhul al-hal, which we didn't discuss in detail, but I'm just mentioning it now in passing. It means that two or more people narrated from that narrator and we know his name but also he has not been certified as a credible narrator. Therefore, both of them are considered under the category of majhul. What is unknown is their credibility. We are not sure about their credibility, and therefore this is also a reason for a hadith to be rejected. Then we said also related to the source or authority from whom the hadith is narrated, if it's reported as a statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's called hadith qudsi. If it's reported from the Prophet it's called al-marfu'ah. If it's reported from a Sahabi, it's called Al-Mawquf. And if it's reported from a Tabi'i, students of Sahaba, then it's called Maktu'a. All of this we discussed last week. And finally we talked about the other categories of hadith which may be shared between Al-Mutafasal, which has a continuous chain. It doesn't necessarily have to be Sahih. It might be Sahih and it might be Da'if. And Al-Musnad, it also could be a hadith, musnad hadith could also, it could be considered as sahih or it could be considered as daif. Musnad means it has a complete chain and also that it has been 
attributed to the Prophet Yani it's marfu'an, attributed to the Prophet, and muttasil, a complete chain. But still, the hadith doesn't necessarily have to be authentic because the hadith sahih has five conditions which we haven't discussed yet. And from amongst those conditions is that, is that it should have a complete chain of narrative. It shouldn't have a break in the chain. If there's a break in the chain, then we don't know. The person, who, the link that's missing, it could be an authentic narrator or an unauthentic narrator, a reliable or unreliable. We don't know. The reason that hadith would be, if it has a break in the chain, it would be considered as da'if because of the fact that we don't know who that missing link is. But if a hadith has a complete chain, still it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be classified as sahih. Because even though it has a complete chain, maybe one or more of the narrators in that chain of narrators might be a weak narrator, an unreliable narrator, or someone who is known to lie or otherwise. Then we talked about, the, we actually began by reading from the book The Forward, in which the author, Sheikh Suhaib Hassan, uh, mentions uh, something related to the preservation of the Qur'an and Sunnah, how it was preserved by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that the Qur'an was guaranteed to be protected and included in that guarantee from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect the Qur'an is the protection of the explanation and demonstration of that which contained in the Qur'an, meaning the authentic Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The last point which we didn't discuss last week, point number four, was the author's introduction uh, in which he discussed a brief history of Mustalah Hadith. Then he talked about Mustalah Hadith itself and Rijal al-Hadith or Ilm al-Rijal. And that's what we will begin with this evening. Those three points. Uh, from the book, the introduction begins in the book, An Introduction to the Science of Hadith or Al-Ma'rifa fi Ulum al-Hadith by Sheikh Sahib Hassan Abdul Ghaffar. He begins uh, his introduction by mentioning that the Muslims are agreed that the Sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad is the second of the two revealed fundamental sources of Islam after the glorious Quran. Yani the authentic Sunnah is contained within the vast body of Hadith literature. Here, the important point that the Shaykh wants to mention here is that the fundamental sources of Islam are two. The Qur'an, number one, and number two, the authentic Sunnah. Can you bring those papers there? And these two sources, both of them, the Qur'an as well as the authentic Sunnah, are revealed. They are revelations. Both of them are revealed. The Qur'an as well as the authentic Sunnah is a revelation. And the second thing that he mentions here is the Hadith, the word Hadith in its plural is Ahadith. It is composed of two parts. A Hadith has two parts that we are concerned about. One of them is Al-Matan, the text or the wording of the Hadith, that which is reported. And the other is the Isnad or the chain of narratives. And Al-Isnad is also referred to as a senad we said previously in our uh, initial definitions that al-isnad it is also referred to by the word as senate it means the chain of reporters or the chain of narrators who passed down or transmitted that particular metin or that particular text then the author says a text may seem to be logical and reasonable but it needs an authentic isnad with reliable reporters 
to be accepted. Yani, this is a very important point that we need to understand that even if we read in a book of hadith or in any place someone quoting from the Prophet ﷺ and the words that they quote from him sound reasonable, sounds logical, sounds acceptable, that's not sufficient for us to accept those words just because the words that are reported sound good. It may be in agreement with what we know about Islam, but it's not sufficient for us to say this is a hadith of the Messenger of Allah Every hadith in order to be accepted we have to look at the metan, the words, the meaning of what's being reported. Is it acceptable Islamically according to the Quran and other hadith and the principles of Islam? And two, we have to look at the chain of narrators, the isnad. If the wording is acceptable and good and proper, but the isnad is improper, we cannot attribute it to the Prophet There are two parts for every hadith and both of them have to be considered. The wording, the meaning, as well as the chain of narrators who passed it down or transmitted it to us. For this reason, the scholars emphasize the importance of the chain of narrators. And from amongst those great scholars is Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak, rahimahullah, one of the great scholars of the Tabi'een who died in the year 181 after the Hijrah. Yani, the, the dates that we are using here are the dates of the death of these scholars to indicate the period of time that they lived in. And those dates are according to the Hijri calendar. Yani, based on the calendar, the Islamic calendar that begins with the migration of the Prophet ﷺ from Mecca to Medina. So when we say in the year 181, we mean 181 years after the migration of the Prophet ﷺ from Mecca to Medina. And that scholar, Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak, he was one of the illustrious teachers of Al-Imam al-Bukhari rahimahullah, and he said, Al-Isnad min al-Deen. That Al-Isnad, the chain of narrators, it is part of our deen. وَلَوْلَا الْإِسْنَادِ لَقَالَ مَنْ شَاءَ مَا شَاءَ And if it wasn't for the Isnad, then whoever wills would have said whatever they liked. Yani anyone would have been free to attribute to the Prophet whatever they liked. And no one would be able to challenge them. If it wasn't for the fact that the Muslim scholars required anybody reporting something from the Prophet to bring their chain of narratives. How, how did you get it? Through whom was it transmitted? So we can look at your chain of narratives to determine whether or not the statement you are reporting from the Prophet ﷺ is authentic or not. So this is a very important statement, Al-Isnad min al-Deen. And it's part of the Islamic deen that whoever reports something from the Prophet ﷺ should have a chain of narrators. It should have an Isnad or in it. And if it wasn't for the Senate, people would have been free to say whatever they wanted to say and they would have lied as they tried to do. But Alhamdulillah, because of the Senate, because of the Isnad, the Muslim scholars were able to detect those who fabricated against the Prophet ﷺ and to distinguish the fabricated statements from those which are authentically reported based on examination, critical examination of the chains of narrators. Here the author says, during the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ and after his death, his companions, the Sahaba, used to refer to him directly, yani without any isnad. They used to quote from him. They used to say, the Prophet ﷺ said, they didn't say who they heard it from. During his lifetime, of course, the Sahaba, they heard it directly from him. They used to say, Qala Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. They didn't used to use the Isnad. And even after his death, 
the Sahaba continued to report statements or actions from the Prophet ﷺ without a chain of narratives. The Sahaba, they were the companions of the Prophet ﷺ. The successors, the Tabi'un, the successors, they are the students of Sahaba. They are those who came after the companions. They are those who learned from the companions. They did not witness the Prophet ﷺ. They did not see him. They did not meet him. But they came in the next generation after the passing of the Prophet ﷺ and they met his companions. The successes, the Tabi'un, followed suit. Yani they used to do as the Sahaba used to do, mentioning statements from the Prophet ﷺ directly. Some of them used to quote the Prophet ﷺ through the companions while others would omit or delete or leave out the intermediate, intermediate authority. Yani some of the Tabi'un would quote directly from the Prophet ﷺ saying, Qala Rasul, though they didn't hear the Prophet, they actually heard it through a Sahabi. But some of them used to delete or omit the Sahabi and just quote directly from the Prophet ﷺ, while others of them used to mention the link between them and the Prophet, yani the Sahabi. They used to say, I heard from Abdullah ibn Umar that the Prophet ﷺ said. Or I heard from Anas ibn Malik radiallahu anhu that the Prophet ﷺ said. Or I heard from Aisha radiallahu anha that the Prophet ﷺ said. Some of them used to quote or used to mention the link between them and the Prophet, the Sahabi, and some of them used to omit it and just quote directly from the Prophet ﷺ. Such a hadith, the one in which the Sahabi is not mentioned, was later known as Mursal. It was known as Mursal. And we will discuss the Mursal hadith later. But in any case, the important thing, the Mursal hadith is a hadith in which a Tabi'i, not a Sahabi, a Tabi'i quotes directly from the Prophet ﷺ without mentioning the name of the Sahabi that he heard it from. That means there is a link missing. But since the link is a Sahabi, there is no harm in doing so. The problem is, if a Tabi'i quotes directly from the Prophet ﷺ without mentioning who he heard it from, it's two, there are two possibilities. He could have heard it from a Sahabi who heard it directly from the Prophet ﷺ. In that case, there's no harm. Because all of the Sahabi, even if we don't know which one he heard it from, they are all acceptable. But there's another possibility that a Tabi may have heard the Hadith from another Tabi who heard it from a Sahabi who heard it from the Prophet ﷺ. In that case, there are two missing links. The missing link of Sahaba, there's no problem. But the missing link of someone else, another Tabi, there's a problem. Because that Tabi, he could be a reliable narrator or an unreliable narrator. So there are two possibilities. We don't know which one. In that case, that hadith in which a Tabi reports directly from the Prophet ﷺ without mentioning who he heard it from, it is doubtful. It is questionable. If it was heard from Sahabi, no problem. But if he heard it from a Tabi, it could be a good Tabi, reliable one, in which case it will be acceptable. Or a reliable Tabi case that had be acceptable. So for that reason, when we don't know, that hadith is called Mursal, and it is generally considered to be Da'if. Generally. And we will discuss it in more detail how some of the scholars accepted it, and some of them didn't accept it. It was found that the missing link between the successor, the Tabi'i, and the Prophet ﷺ might be one person, that is a companion, or it might be two people, a companion and a successor. The extra, extra person being an older successor who heard the hadith from a community. And there are two possibilities here that a tabi, when he doesn't mention who he heard from, there may be one person, a sahabi, in which there is no problem, or it may be two people, another tabi, or another tabi and a 
Sahabi. In which case we have to know who is that other Tabi'in. This is an example of how the need for the verif- verification of each isnad arose. Yani, this is an indication of how the need for checking and verification of the chains of narrators started. When they, when they realized that there is a missing link in some of the hadith narrated by the Tabi'un, and that person who, that link could be one or it could be two, then there entered the possibility of someone who is an unreliable reporter being missing from that chain and we don't know who it is. Therefore, there was a need now to verify, to check and to examine every chain of narrators. Al-Imam Malik, rahimahullah, the great scholar of hadith and the scholar of the people of Medina who died in the year 179, and in the year 179 after the hijrah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he was in the same time as Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak. Yani, he died two years before Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak. So they were in the same time period. Imam Malik said, the first one to utilize the isnad was Ibn Shihab al-Zuhri. Ibn Shihab al-Zuhri, who died in the year 124 after, of the Hijrah. Ibn Shihab was a great scholar of Tabi'een. He was one of the Imams of the scholars of the Tabi'een, Muhammad ibn Muslim ibn Shihab al-Zuhri. Al-Zuhri was one of the great scholars of the Tabi'een, one of the Imams of the Tabi'een, and he died in the year 124. Al-Imam Malik said that he was the first one to utilize the Isnad, meaning he was the first one to use it systematically. The other more important reason for the need for verification of the chains of narrators was the deliberate fabrication of a hadith by various sects which appeared amongst the Muslims in order to support their views. And he says here later in the discussion of Mawdu'a hadith. And this is discussed under the topic of fabricated hadith, al-Mawdu'a. Hadith al-Mawdu'a, fabricated hadith. In that section it discusses the matters related to reverence or intentional fabrication of these. So here the author says there are two reasons that led to the need for verification of the chains of hadith. One, that people left out someone. They didn't always mention who they heard the hadith from and we have to know who they heard it from in order to know if it's reliable or not. The other was some people intentionally fabricated hadith and attributed to the Prophet in order to detect that. Then we had to examine investigate and verify what was the means of transmission who are the narrators in the chain of narration in the Isnad Ibn Sirin also one of the scholars from amongst the Tabi'in Muhammad Ibn Sirin who died the year 110 he was a successor and he said لم يكونوا يسألون عن الإسناد that they didn't use to ask about the isnad, about the chain of narrators. Yani the people when they heard a hadith in the beginning in that time, time of tabi'in, they didn't in the beginning used to ask about the chain of narrators. فَلَمَّا وَقَعَتْ الْفِتْنَةِ قَالُوا سَمُّوا لَنَا رِجَالَكُمْ Then when the fitna arose, the trouble, the turmoil between amongst the Muslims, at that time, different, various, deviant groups arose and parties, political parties, arose amongst the Muslims. Those people who wanted to support their opinions and their party and their group began to fabricate hadith. At that time, uh, 
ابن سرين رحمه الله says فلما وقعت الفتنة قالوا سموا لنا رجالكم at that time the scholars started to say name to us your men who are the narrators who, is, who, who are the people that your statement has been transmitted by فينظر إلى أهل السنة فيؤخذ حديثهم وينظر إلى أهل البدع فلا يؤخذ حديثهم at that time they started to look at the chain of narrators if they saw that the people in the chain of narrators were the people of Sunnah, the Ahl Sunnah, and they used to accept their narrations. And if they found that they were from the people of Bid'ah or innovation, they used to reject their narrations. Uh, this statement is mentioned in the Sahih of Muslim. And here the author says, See the book Criticism of Hadith Among Muslims with reference to the Sunnah of Ibn Majah. And that's one of the books that we had on our list of important references pages 15 to 17 for a discussion of this statement of Ibn Sirin and a detailed discussion of this statement of Ibn Sirin because this statement actually is a proof that in a very early stage as early as the time of the Tabi'een Muhammad Ibn Sirin died in the year 110 and in the beginning of the second century of the Hijrah almost just over 100 years after the Hijrah of the Prophet as early as that time, he said that we were examining the chains of narrative. Some of the Orientalists tried to say that hadith was being collected without any verification or checking centuries in order to put doubt into the authenticity of the hadith of the Prophet But this statement of Muhammad ibn Sarin proved that at a very early stage, the Muslims began to verify and to check the chains of transmission in order to verify the authentic hadith and to separate them from the unauthentic hadith. Uh, a brief history of Mustalah Hadith yani this particular science of Mustalah Hadith how did it begin and what are the stages that we went through and in the handout you will see that I have divided the stages of the history of Mustalah Hadith into three main stages the first stage is the oral transmission the second stage is scattered writings and the third stage independent specialized works these are the three main stages in which the development of the science of Mustalah Hadith went through. And here the author discussed them. I just merely in the handout try to summarize his discussion a little and to organize it into stages so that it's easier to follow. And in the first stage in the development of Mustalah Hadith was that the information related to Mustalah Hadith was reported orally by the scholars. Orally. They used to discuss the rules and principles and things related to the science of Mustalah Hadith. Later, they started to write them in organized writings, but not in separate independent books about Mustalah Hadith, but they used to be mixed with other sciences. Maybe they were in one book with Usul Fiqh and Fiqh and Hadith all together in one book, as he mentioned here, uh, in the second stage. And later in the third stage, they started to author independent writings related exclusively to the science of Mustalah Hadith. In any case, the author says he has time passed, more reporters were involved in each Isnad. And in the beginning, time of the Prophet ﷺ, a person heard it directly from him. So there was no long chain. It was just him saying, I heard it from the Prophet ﷺ. Or maybe he heard it from another Sahabi who heard it from the Prophet ﷺ, but there wasn't any long chain of people to investigate and to examine. But as time passed, more reporters were involved in each isnad. Because later, after 100 years, a tabi who heard it from a Sahabi, who heard it from the Prophet ﷺ, would pass it on to someone, and therefore there were three or four people in the chain of narrators. 
that had to be examined and investigated. And so the situation demanded strict discipline in the acceptance of a hadith. And the rules regulating this discipline are known as mustalah hadith or the classification of hadith. Amongst the early traditionists or the muhaddithin, the scholars of hadith, the rules and criteria governing their study of hadith were meticulous. But some of their terminology varied from one person to another. Yani some of them might have used the term, for example, munkar to mean one thing, and another one used munkar to mean something else. Some of them used the classification of hadith sahih and da'if in the beginning only. Either hadith was sahih or was da'if. And later, some of them started to use another terminology, hasan. And that was primarily, yani spread as a, as a particular terminology, it was spread uh, by Imam al-Tirmidhi. Though it was used before his time, but he was the one who became famous for the use of the term hasan. So before his time, people used to call a hadith that he later identified as hasan, which was an acceptable hadith, but it wasn't as strong as sahih. People used to classify that in the category of da'if. But only maybe, yani, small weakness. But they used to classify that as da'if. And he classified it as hasan. So the terminology in the early time, it was sometimes used differently from one scholar <coughs> to another. And their principles began to be systematically written down. But they were scattered amongst various books. And they weren't written in books independently authored about Mustalah Hadith. For example, Ar-Risala by Imam Shafi'i who died in the year 204. And as well, Al-Um. Al-Um. These two books by Imam Shafi'i both contain important information related to Mustalah Hadith. But these books are not exclusively written about Mustalah Hadith. They also contain the things related to fiqh, jurisprudence, and usul fiqh, the fundamentals or the fundamental principles for determining the rulings of fiqh, and so on. Other things were all mixed together in that stage. Likewise, the introduction or the muqaddimah to the Sahih of Muslim, Al-Imam Muslim, who died in the year 261. He was a contemporary of Al-Imam Bukhari. In his introduction to his Sahih, he has a large, very important section related to Mustalah Hadith. But it's not an independent book on Mustalah Hadith. He included it as a part of his collection of Hadith, the Sahih of Muslim. And likewise, Al-Jami' sometimes referred to as Al-Jami' al-Sahih and normally referred to as Sunan al-Tirmidhi. In his book Al-Jami' which is normally today referred to by the people as the Sunan of al-Tirmidhi, he also included in the end of his collection of Hadith a section specifically related to Mustalah Hadith. But it wasn't independent, it was as an appendix to his collection of hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, the Sunan of At-Tirmidhi. So in that time, many of the scholars had written about Mustalah Hadith, but they didn't write them as independent books. Likewise, many of the criteria of the early scholars of hadith, the traditionists, for example, Al-Bukhari, many of their criteria or their conditions were deduced by later scholars from a careful study of which reporters or isnad were accepted and rejected by them. Yani some of the scholars looked at the chains of narratives in the Sahih of Bukhari. He himself didn't write anything concerning what are my conditions, who do I accept, who do I reject, who do I consider as the reliable narrator and who, who I don't accept. He didn't write about it. They looked at the chains of narratives in his Sahih. Which chains did he accept? Which narratives did he accept? And from examining it carefully, some of the scholars said, these are the conditions of Al-Imam Bukhari. By examining it, not by him, he himself saying, 
that I have five conditions. No. But they looked at his work, and from that they were able to deduce that he had certain conditions. And it was determined that the conditions for the acceptability of a hadith sahih by Imam al-Bukhari was the most stringent and strictest of conditions of any of the scholars. Even Imam Muslim, who was a, a student of al-Bukhari, he was a student of al-Bukhari for some time, though he was himself a scholar in his own right before he met Bukhari. But when he met Bukhari, he used to sit in his lesson because he saw the superiority of the knowledge of Imam al-Bukhari. So he sat with him and he learned from him. Even Imam Muslim, his conditions were close and similar to the conditions of Imam Bukhari, but a little less, not as stringent. In any case, the point that the author is making here is that some of the knowledge of Mustala was written along with other books, and some of it was deduced by scholars who came later and looked at the works of the great scholars like Imam al-Bukhari, and they deduced from their works some of the conditions or the principles or rules that they followed in their determining which hadith is authentic and which one is not. This was a second stage in the development of the science of Mustala hadith. Yani when there were some writings, but they were not independent. One of the earliest writings to attempt to cover Mustala comprehensively using standard, that is, generally accepted terminology, was the work of Rama Hurmuzi. Rama Hurmuzi. He was a scholar. His name is Abu Muhammad Al Hassan ibn Abdurrahman Al Rama Hurmuzi. He was a scholar who died in the year 360. That means it was in the second half of the fourth century of Hijrah. And in 360 means 360 years after the Hijrah of Prophet Sallallahu the year 301 is the beginning of the fourth century of the Hijrah. So he was in the second half of the fourth century of the Hijrah. This great scholar, he was one of the first who wrote an independent work dealing with Mustalah Hadith. And it was a comprehensive work. And his book was, yani, it was followed by many other scholars later. And the next major contribution was Ma'arifa Ulumul Hadith by Al-Hakam Al-Naysaburi who died in the year 405. And he died in the first years of the beginning of the 5th century of Hijrah, which covered 50 classifications of hadith. Yani 50 different classifications of hadith. Classification hadith, marfu'ah, maktu'ah, mawquf, sahih, hasan, da'if, matruq, yani munkar, ma'aruf. Many different classification hadith, he discussed in detail, defined them and gave examples of them, reaching 50 different types or classifications of hadith. But still, he left some points untouched. So after him came Abu Naim al-Asbahani, who died in the year 430, not long after him, who completed some of the missing parts of this work. And his book is called Al-Mustakhraj ala Ma'arifatu Ulum al-Hadith. The name of his book is not written here, but in any case, the important thing is that he tried to complete the work of Rama Hurmuzi. After that came many other scholars from amongst them, Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi, who was one of the great scholars of Hadith, who had written many books about the science of Hadith and collections of Hadith, and one of his important works is mentioned here, it is Al-Kifaya fi ilm al-Riwaya. Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi, who died in the year 463, wrote that book, and along with it, another book of great importance, 
which he mentions here, another work on the manner of teaching and studying hadith, and that book is entitled Al-Jami'ah li Akhlaq al-Rawi wa Adab al-Sami. This book was written by also by Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi. Later scholars were considered to be greatly indebted to Al-Khatib's work. Yani many of the scholars who came after Al-Khatib al-Baghdadi relied upon his books. Some of them rearranged it or added to it or commented on it and so on. But he, his, his books were also of primary importance to the scholars who came after his time. And then he says, after further contributions by Qadi Iyad al-Yahsubi who died in the year 544. And Qadi, Al-Qadi Iyad is also a great scholar of hadith who before Al-Imam al-Nawawi wrote a very important commentary on the Sahih of Muslim. And Al-Qadi Iyad, his commentary on the Sahih of Muslim, if you examine it carefully with the commentary of Imam Nawawi, you'll find that often, almost in every occasion, Imam Nawawi is quoting from Al-Qadi Iyad in his explanations of the hadith in Sahih Muslim. So he also wrote books related to the science of Musal Hadith. And he was living in the 6th century. He died in the year 544 of the Hijrah. And also Abu Hafs Al-Miyaniji, who died in the year 580, among others. Uh, he also contributed works to Mustafa Hadith. Then came the work which almost, although modest in size, was so comprehensive in its excellent treatment of the subject that it came to be the standard reference for thousands of scholars and students of Hadith to come over many centuries until the present day. And that is the book Uloom al-Hadith by Abu Amr Uthman ibn al-Salah who died in the year 643. That is, yeah, near the middle of the 7th century of the Hijri. If you look at the time period between the first major work in Mustalah Hadith, Ramu Hormuzi, in the year 360 until the time of Ibn Salah in the year 643, yeah, almost 300 years later. This became the standard reference for all the scholars who came after him. The book entitled Ulum al-Hadith by Ibn al-Salah. And it is commonly known as Muqaddima Ibn al-Salah. Yani most of the people refer to his book. Instead of Ulum al-Hadith, they refer to it as Muqaddima Ibn al-Salah. That book was compiled while he taught in Dar al-Hadith of several cities in Syria. And some of the numerous later works based on that of Ibn al-Salah are as follows. Yani, Many of the great books of Mustalah Hadith that the scholars wrote after the time of Ibn Salah are basically based upon his work, either an abridgment of his work or a commentary on his work or the arrangement of his work into poetry form and so on. And here the author mentions a number of books from amongst them the abridgment or the summary of the Muqaddimah Ibn Salah, Al-Irshad by Al-Imam Al-Nawawi, which Al-Imam Al-Nawawi himself later summarized in another work, Al-Taqrib or Taqrib al-Nawawi, which was further explained by Imam al-Suyuti in his book Taqrib al-Rawi, which is a primary text studied in the Islamic universities today, and it is the main text in the College of Hadith in the university, the Islamic University in Medina, Taqrib al-Rawi by Imam al-Suyuti, the explanation of the book of Imam Nawawi. Also Imam al-Hafiz ibn Kathir, wrote a book, Ikhtisar Ulum al-Hadith, which is a summary of the book of Ibn Salah. And he mentions a number of other scholars 
who wrote books related to his book and from amongst them of the important ones that the author mentions here is At-Taqiyid Wal-Idah by Al-Imam Al-Iraqi who died in the year 806 and also Al-Nuqat Al-Kitab Ibn Salah by Ibn Hajar Al-Asqalani who died in the year 852 all of which are further notes on the points made by Ibn Salah and two other important books related to uh, or yani based upon the book of Ibn Salah is Al-Fiyah Al-Hadith by Al-Imam Al-Iraqi which is a rewriting of the Muqaddimah in the form of a lengthy poem yani he wrote the information from the Muqaddimah of Ibn Salah into, poet, into poetry form yani lines of poetry a very lengthy uh, poem that he wrote was explaining all the rules and laws of Mustalah Hadith and that book was explained a sharh or explanation of it was done by one of the great scholars as Sakhawi in his book Fat al and from amongst the other books that the, the author mentions here a number of books other notable treatises on Mustalah and he mentions a lot of them from amongst the most important of them is Nukhbat al-Fikr by al-Hafiz ibn Hajj al-Asqalani and Al-Manzuma al-Baykuniya by Baykuni and he mentions a lot of books here in any case this discussion of the books of Mustalah Hadith is important from the point of view to be aware that many books were written by the scholars of Hadith. Much attention was given to this. It wasn't something taken lightly, but the early scholars considered this science of Mustalah Hadith as so important that generation after generation after generation the scholars continued to write, to try to re-explain, summarize, uh, explained in a different way, right, in poetry form, so that the students could memorize it and easily retain that knowledge and so on. They gave a lot of emphasis, emphasis to the science of Mustalah Hadith. And these books are only a few of hundreds or thousands of books, some of them one volume, some of them two, three, four, five volumes, some of them many, many, many volumes, large uh, any works concerning Mustalah Hadith. The next topic that the author deals with on page 6 is Mustalah al-Hadith and he says here Mustalah books speak of a number of classes or classifications of Hadith in accordance with their status the following broad classifications can be made each of which is explained in later sections and here the author intends to introduce to us some of the basic categories or classifications that Hadith may be divided into and we have already briefly mentioned some of these categories but it is important for us to look at these categories again in order to familiarize ourselves with these categories and the terminologies that they use so that when we take the study of each one separately it will be easier for us to follow and to understand uh, what is being presented the first category that the author mentions is the classification of hadith according to the reference of a particular authority for example the prophet ﷺ, a companion or a successor yani, <coughs> classification of the hadith based on who the statement that is being reported who that statement came from if it came from the prophet ﷺ, we classified it as marfu'a if it came from a sahabi companion we classified it as mawquf if it came from a tabi student of Sahaba, we classified it as maktur. And if it was reported as the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it is classified as hadith qudsi. So this is one category, broad category of classification of hadith 
according to the statement that is reported, who is it from? On the authority of who? From Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, from the Prophet sallallahu from Sahaba, from Tabi, from men. Or from who? Okay, this is one category. We are going to, he's going to discuss this in the next section in detail. All of these related to the reference to the particular authority. The second broad category or classification of hadith is according to the links in the isnad. That is, whether the chain of reporters is interrupted or uninterrupted. Yani, if it is interrupted means it has a break in the chain, or it's uninterrupted means it has a complete chain. There is no break from the one who collected the hadith back to the Prophet ﷺ or the Sahabi or whoever it's reported from. Yani, it has a complete chain. These are two categories related to the links in the chain of narratives. If the chain of reporters or narratives is interrupted, it has a break in it, or it's uninterrupted. And here he mentions a number of different categories based on this consideration, if the chain is broken or unbroken. And one of them he says, Musnad. And Musnad, we said, includes two considerations. Musnad hadith is a hadith that has a complete chain, unbroken chain, and as well, it is marfu'an, referred to the Prophet ﷺ. A musnad hadith means that it is a statement from the Messenger of Allah, and it is reported with an unbroken chain. And as we said earlier, please keep in mind, that even though a musnad hadith is marfu'an, attributed to the Prophet, and it's muttasilun, complete, unbroken chain, that doesn't mean that it has to be sahih. Because another consideration, one of the considerations of hadith being sahih is not only if it has an unbroken chain, but whether or not the reporters are reliable reporters. Are they of good character? Are they of good memory? And so on. We have to look at these considerations also. In any case, a musnad hadith simply means that it's attributed as a statement of the Prophet ﷺ and it has a complete chain. If a hadith is continuous or it has a complete chain, Without being attributed to the Prophet ﷺ, it is called muttasil. Muttasil means that it has a complete chain of narratives, unbroken. But or a tabi'i or whoever, as long as the chain is unbroken, it's complete and continuous. We say this is muttasil. The next type he mentions, Munqati'ah. Munqati'ah means broken. Yani it means it has an interrupted, incomplete chain of narrative. Munqati'ah. It means that the chain is broken. Munqati'ah is a general term, and under it comes other subcategories. Munqati'ah simply means that the chain is broken. It may be broken in the beginning, it may be broken in the middle, it may be broken in the end, it may have more than one mislink, continuously, yani two con consecutive missing links, or two in different places, one in the beginning and one in the end, it's general. It just means that it has a break. Any hadith that has a break in the chain is called munqati'ah. But if the break is in the beginning, or if it is in the middle, or if it is in the end, or if it's two consecutive, two consecutive missing links, they have special names for each type. For each type of break in the chain. Munqati'ah is general including all of them, but here he mentions some of the more specific terminologies. One of them is Mu'allaq. Mu'allaq, linguistically it means hanging. But the real meaning of Mu'allaq, the technical meaning of Mu'allaq, it means it has a break in the chain at the beginning of the chain. Like Al-Imam Bukhari, rahimahullah, 
mentions a hadith from the Prophet ﷺ, he doesn't mention his shaykh who he heard it from. So there's a break in the beginning of the isnad from Al-Imam Bukhari or Al-Imam Al-Tirmidhi or Al-Imam Muslim. He doesn't mention his shaykh. He might leave, he might omit his shaykh and his shaykh's shaykh and maybe the shaykh of his shaykh's shaykh. He might spout one or three. But if the break is at the beginning of the isnad of the collector of the hadith like Bukhari or Muslim or Abu Dawood or Tirmidhi, this is called Mu'allaq. Okay, when it's at the beginning of the isnad. Mu'adal which he translates here as perplexing, maybe more quickly it can be translated linguistically as weakened, a weakened hadith. Mu'adal, it means that there are two consecutive breaks in the chain of narrative, two consecutive links missing, consecutive. This is called Mu'adal. And of course all of these, we are going to discuss in more detail, we are just introducing the terminology now. Mu'adal means that there are two consecutive breaks in the chain. The next one he mentions is Mursal, Mursal means that the break is at the end of the chain, after the tabi'i. And if a tabi'i says that, he, that the Prophet ﷺ did such and such and so and so, or said such and such and so and so, without mentioning who he heard it from, from amongst the Sahaba, this is called Mursal. So, from these terminologies we can understand that if the break is at the beginning, from the collector of the hadith like Al-Bukhari, it's called Mu'allah. If it's at the end, between the Tabi'i and the Prophet is called Mursal. And if it has two consecutive breaks, it's called Mu'adal. And all of these come under the general category of Munqati'ah. In any case, this classification of hadith according to the chain of narrative, if it's complete or broken and where it's broken, this is a section that we will study in detail related to the authentic, authenticity or uh, weakness of a hadith based on examination of whether or not the chain is broken or complete. A third consideration of hadith or classification of hadith is based on the number of reporters that are involved in each stage of the isnad. The number of reporters in each stage of the isnad. Yani one stage, for example, is stage of Sahaba. The next stage is stage of Tabi'un. The next stage is Atba'a Tabi'un, and so on. If in each stage we look at how many people reported that hadith, we will classify it into two main categories. Al-Mutawatir or Al-Ahad. Okay, here the author says, According to the number of reporters involved in each stage of the isnad, for example, mutawatir, consecutive or continuous, meaning that it has a large number of narrators in every stage. Or ahad, isolated or singular, means that it has a few or a small number of narrators in every stage. These are the two primary classifications according to the number of reporters in every stage. Tawatir and Ahad, and Ahad we said before, and he says here, the latter, or Ahad hadith, is also divided into three further categories, Gharib, Aziz, and Mashhur. Gharib literally means scarce or strange, Aziz literally means rare or strong, and Mashhur means famous. But the technical meaning of Gharib means that it has in any one of those levels only one reporter. That's Hadith Gharib. If it has two or more, the least number in any stage is two or more, then it is Aziz. 
If the least number in any stage is three or more, then it is mashhoor. And again, what we are looking at, the least number of reporters in any stage. If the least number is one, even though the others have two or three or four in every other stage, it will still be looked at, it will be considered based on the least number in any stage. That means it would be gharib. If the least number in any stage is two, then it would be aziz. And if it is three or more, then it will be mashhoor. All of these, gharib and aziz and mashhoor, are classifications that come under al-khabar or khabar ahad. Yani, not mutawatir. The next broad category is according to the manner in which the hadith has been reported, such as using the words an on the authority of haddathana, he narrated to us, akhbarana, he informed us, sami'atu, I heard. Yani, the words that's used by the reporter of hadith, if you look in the Sahih of Bukhari, for example, you will see that Imam Bukhari says, haddathani, so and so. Qala haddathani so and so, akhbarani so and so, an Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu anhu, an Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, awa an Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. These words that are used by the reporter in the chain of narratives, every reporter used a certain word. Some of them said haddathani, some of them said akhbarani, some of them said haddathana, aw akhbarana, aw sami'atu, aw sami'ana, aw an, aw an. These expressions are very important in determining the authenticity of a hadith. When you look in the book and you see an, it is a particular term that's used in a certain way, and it helps us to know whether or not that hadith should be considered as authentic or not. And all of this we will also discuss in detail. In any case, the author says here, in this category, according to the manner in which the hadith has been reported, falls the discussion about mudallas and Musalsal. Mudallas means those people who conceal something in their narration of the hadith. Either they drop someone from the chain of narrators, they deleted or omitted him to hide perhaps someone who was a weak narrator, or they disguise their shaykh or someone in the chain of narrators, usually their shaykh, uh, they disguise him by using names or titles or descriptions that he wasn't well known by. So that no one would know really who their shaykh was. Perhaps he was a weak narrator and they didn't want people to reject their hadith. So instead of saying his name, they described him by his kunya or some other expression or terminology or description that the people wouldn't be able to detect really who he was. So this, uh, this is related to the manner in which the hadith has been reported. Here the author says, note. In the quotation of Isnad and the remainder of this book, the first mode of narration mentioned above will be represented by a single broken line. And the first mode is An. Whenever you see in this book a broken line, if he narrates a hadith as an example of a particular classification of hadith, if he narrates a hadith as an example, and you see just a one broken line, then this means that hadith was reported with the expression An. And An is an expression that doesn't tell us really how the person heard the hadith. Did he hear it directly from the shaykh reading? Or did he hear it from a student reading to the shaykh? Or did he hear it from some other way? An is general, it's vague. We don't know really how he heard it. 
So that expression is a weak expression. When a, when, a, uh, when a scholar or a reporter uses an, then we have to investigate. We have to look behind him and see really how did he hear it. So when you see a single broken line, this means that it was reported with an, and it has to be clarified. The three remaining modes of narration mentioned above, that is, haddathana, akhbarana, and sami'atu, which are all which all strongly indicate a clear, direct transmission of the hadith. These are represented by a double line, a double broken line. When you see a double broken line, it means that the expression used for transmission of the hadith is a strong expression. It's a clear, direct hearing of the hadith from the shaykh. If the, if the narrator says, Haddathani, or Haddathana, or Akhbarani, or Akhbarana, or Sama'atu, or Sama'ana, these expressions indicate that he heard it directly from the shaykh. There is no doubt about that he heard it from his shaykh. But if he says an, there is some question about it. It has to be examined and confirmed. So when we see a single line in any of the examples, know that the expression used here is an, we need to investigate it. But if we see a double line, okay, that's a strong mode of narration. It indicates a clear, direct transmission of the hadith. The next category that the author mentions is consideration of a hadith or classification of a hadith according to the nature of the metin and the isnad. Yani the nature of the metin or the isnad. For example, an addition by a reliable reporter known as Ziyada as siqa Ziyada to siqa This means that a reliable, acceptable reporter reports something either in the metin, the text, or in the chain of narrators that is extra, it is a ziyadah it is extra and in addition beyond what the other reliable reporters said and the other people narrated the same hadith but he said something in the text of the hadith that the other reliable reporters didn't mention or he mentioned somebody in the chain, in the isnad that the other reliable reporters didn't mention in their isnad but this reporter, he is a reliable reporter. So this is called Ziyadah to Thiqah. It is an addition by a reliable reporter of hadith. Addition beyond what the other reliable reporters mention. And this discussion we will take in detail. Another type of consideration related to this, the nature of the method or the Isnad, is opposition by lesser authority to a more reliable one known as Shaz or irregular. This means a lesser authority, yani somebody who is not as strong as a narrator of hadith, reports something in opposition or in contradiction to those who are more reliable than him. And those who had a better memory, or those who are considered stronger narrators, he narrates something in opposition to them. Here, the use of the word shaz indicates to us that the one who reported this contradictory statement, or contradictory statement, the one who reported it, he is a good reporter. He is a reliable reporter, an acceptable reporter. But he contradicts those who are better than him. He contradicts them. This hadith is called shaz. And it means that the, what he reported, it is not only extra, as in Ziyadat al-Sikr. It's not only something extra, but it's actually contradictory to what the others said. Yani extra may not necessarily be contradictory. Yani somebody may add something, that doesn't contradict what the others said, but it is additional information. Like somebody, for example, said that the Prophet ﷺ used to stand 
in the salah when he began the prayer. And another person, another narrator said, he used to stand and hold his hands on his chest. That's additional information. It's not contradictory, but it's additional information. That means we can accept it. But shad means that a person who is reliable reports something which is in contradiction to those who are more reliable to him. Yani we cannot reconcile between them. This is a hadith that's classified as shad. And we will discuss it in detail as we go along. In some cases, a text containing a vulgar expression or unreasonable remark or obviously erroneous statement is rejected by the traditionists or the scholars of hadith outright without consideration of the isnad. Such a hadith is known as munkar. Yani, one of the narrators reports something which cannot be accepted as a statement of the Prophet a vulgar expression that we don't believe the Prophet could have used such expression. Or it's contradictory to what we know from other authentic hadith or fundamental principles in the Quran or in Islam. It's contradictory. In that case, they said such a report, we don't even have to look at the chain of narrative. It's rejected outright. Without even looking at the chain of narrative, this is called munkar. Some of the scholars use munkar to mean something else. They use it to mean a hadith in which a weak, unacceptable reporter contradicts a thicker, reliable or strong reporter. A weak reporter. Not a reliable reporter. A reliable reporter who, report, who contradicts another reliable reporter, that's shy. But a weak reporter who contradicts a reliable reporter, this is called by some of the scholars munkar. So munkar has two primary definitions. One of them is what the, the author has mentioned here, and the other one is a weak reporter contradicting a reliable reporter. And there are two categories left, inshallah, after the adhan we will complete them, and then we will stop here. Allah Akbar Allah. And just to complete uh, this section, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. The last uh, general topic that we were dealing with, it is... Uh, According to the nature of the metin or the isnad, here the author says, also if an expression or statement is proved to be an addition by a reporter to the text, it is declared as mudraj, interpolated. Mudraj means that the narrator of the hadith, when he reported the hadith, the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, he added some words to it from himself. He added something to it. Either to explain, maybe there was an expression in the hadith, he wanted to explain it, or for some other reason, he added some words. When it was detected that these words were not really from the Prophet ﷺ, it is classified as mudraj, and is something that has been interpolated or added to the text that is really not a part of it. And this is also under the category of the nature of the metin or the isnad. And the next category is according to a hidden defect found in the isnad or text of the hadith. This is under the category of ilal. And it means that, here as the author says, although this could be included in some of the previous categories, a hadith, mu'allal, defective hadith, is worthy to be explained separately. The defect can be caused in many ways. For example, two types of hadith, mu'allal, are known as maklub, overturned, or mudtarib, shaky. The meaning of ilal, or hadith, mu'allal, it means a hadith 
which has a hidden defect. It's not obvious. It may be difficult for someone to determine. It is a hidden defect, and also it is a defect that affects the acceptability of the hadith. Yani there are some hidden defects that don't really affect the hadith. It, doesn't, it won't determine it to be unauthentic. Even though it's a defect in the hadith, but it doesn't affect the authenticity. But if that hidden defect has some relation to the authenticity of the hadith, this is what we are talking about here, in hadith mu'allam. It means a defect in the hadith that affects its authenticity. And it is a hidden defect, not an obvious defect. Obvious defect is not considered hadith mu'allam. It's obvious. Yani, it's a tabi reports from the Prophet That's obvious. He's a tabi. We know that there's a missing link. But when there's a link missing that's not obvious, that's a hidden defect. And if the person who is missing is an unreliable reporter, then it affects the authenticity of the hadith. But if we found that there's a missing link, but the one who is missing is a reliable reporter, it's a defect, but it doesn't affect the authenticity of the hadith. But what we are talking about here are the hidden defects that affect the authenticity of the hadith. It would determine it to be authentic or unauthentic. And he mentions two types here, maqloob, the hadith that's turned around, or mudtarib, the hadith that's self-contradictory. Maqloob means that sometimes the person narrated a hadith with the wrong chain of narratives, with a different chain of narratives, not its real chain. Or they narrated the text of the hadith in a way, in the wrong way. Instead of saying he did something with his right hand, they said he did it with his left hand. Maqloob, they turned it upside down. And mutarib means that, that a hadith has been reported by more than one chain of narratives. Or even by one person, but reported in different ways, that is contradictory, it cannot be reconciled. Yani, two contradictory statements are made, or two contradictory chains of narratives are given, and it cannot be reconciled. It's self-contradictory. This is called mudtarif. And again, we will take this, inshallah, in detail as we go along, with detailed explanations, linguistic, as well as technical definitions and examples of each type. The last category that we want to mention is classifying the hadith according to the reliability and memory of the reporters. And his reliability, actually we should say his trustworthiness or character, his adala, his trustworthiness or character. And I have actually mentioned in the handout these terminologies uh, so that it will be a little more clear. According to the adala, the character or trustworthiness of the reporter, and the memory, the dub, yani his accuracy in reporting. These are two important classifications that we look at uh, or factors that we look at in the classification of hadith uh, to determine whether or not a hadith is authentic or not. We look at the reporters and there are two factors. Al-Adala, his character or trustworthiness, and Al-Dabd, his accuracy or precision in narrating. These are two factors. Both of them are important. If either one of them have a defect in it, the hadith will be rejected. Even if the person is known to be a religious person, but he has a bad memory, he's not accurate in reporting, we reject his hadith. Or a person who has an excellent memory, he never forgets anything, but he doesn't have good character. Also, we will not accept his hadith. These are both important, and both of them have to be present. The final judgment on a hadith depends crucially on this factor. Verdicts such as sahih, authentic or sound, hasan, good, da'if, weak, or mawdu'a, fabricated or forged, rest mainly upon the nature of the reporters in the isnad. Yani primarily, the most important factor are the reporters themselves. 
Do they have good, accurate memories? Are they of good character? And so on. So this is yani, the final broad category that we will look at in the course of the study of Mustalah Hadith in our book, Introduction to the Science of Hadith by Sheikh Suhaid Hassan. Hafizahullah, may Allah protect and preserve him. And next week, inshallah, we will quickly review what we discussed this afternoon, this evening, and we will also look at the final category that he mentions in the introduction, Rijal al-Hadith wa ilm al-Rijal. What does this deal with and what does it entail? We will talk about that next week, inshallah, before we go on to the main uh, text of the book, the classifications of Hadith, according to these various references that we have discussed in brief this evening. Uh, introduction to Science Hadith, I need two copies of the booklet. I don't think we have any here right now, but inshallah we will provide them next week. Any questions or comments or corrections before we leave? Quickly, if there's anything. Let me just then say, in closing, brothers and sisters, please be patient. The study of Mustalah Hadith, it is similar to the study of Al-Mawari, inheritance. It is very, very technical. It is very, very technical. The foundation of it is understanding the technical terminologies. The definitions are of utmost importance. If you just be patient as you go along, some of these terminologies, you will become familiar with them, it will be easier. In the beginning it's a little difficult, but be patient, inshallah, we will repeat them over and over again. And you have the book in front of you, and you have notes, and you can ask questions, and inshallah we will give examples and repeat them over and over again until these terminologies become easy for you. I think everybody now knows what's the meaning of hadith. If somebody says hadith, we know what a hadith is. If somebody says hadith, hadith sahih, we know what is sahih. We know what is da'if. These terminologies we are already familiar with. So now we want to add to them some new terminologies. These new terminologies in the beginning, it may seem like many. And it may be a little difficult to follow. But if you just review regularly, at least once or twice during the week before the class, inshallah, what we studied before and what we are going to take in the next week, inshallah, you will find it much, much easier. Uh, as I said, please review the next section every week. Please review the next section before the class so that if you've read it already, when I cover it, the explanations that I will give will clarify that which is not clear to you. And what is clear to you, you will discuss over it. But if you don't read it before you come, all of it will be new to you. It will be a little more difficult. One of my teachers, he told us that if you want to do well in the study of any subject, before you go to the class, you should review the material you took last time and preview what you are going to take in the following class. Since the text of the book is in front of you, you can preview what we are going to take for next week and you can also review what we took last week so that you will not forget it quickly. If you review the past information and preview the next information, inshallah you'll find it will be much, much more easy. And inshallah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He will grant success to the one who is sincere in seeking knowledge. Seeking knowledge is an obligation on every Muslim. And if you do it with ikhlas and sincerity for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and understanding that the study of Mustalah Hadith is important in order to distinguish the authentic hadith from that which has been reported unauthentically from the Messenger of Allah and know the importance of this as a source of uh, legislation in Islam. If you understand that and look at it from this way and ask Allah to help you, inshallah, He will get you through it and you will benefit from it tremendously. Question? Yeah. 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 <coughs> they didn't send back the confirmation. 
But I am waiting. Today and yesterday I was checking, but nothing came yet. We hope maybe tomorrow or tonight they may send uh, some confirmation by fax or by email, and then we will know the exact price of the books. But the general price, perhaps we can give you the general prices of those books from the book list. Some of them are in the book list of uh, Al-Hidayah publications. Some of them are in there. Uh, I think I have a copy of the catalog in my car. If you want to take it, you can look at it and pass it around to the other brothers. If anybody else wants to order any books from the book list, of the important references from Musallah Hadith, we already sent the order. And I am waiting for the confirmation of the prices and the availability of those books. But if anybody wants to add something to it, inshallah we can add it to the list, but you should let me know uh, as soon as possible. Uh, if you are interested in any particular book, let me know now, so, we can, uh, so that we can let them know. Because they will send me an uh, invoice with the prices and which books are available, then I will have to change the invoice. If they sent it to me tonight, I will have to change it by adding other books. But if I send the additional books now, they will add it to the invoice when they send it to us, and then that will be the final confirmation, inshallah. So if anybody wants anything from that book list, particularly the study of hadith, methodology and literature, and the criticism of hadith among Muslims with reference to Sunan Ibn Majah, these two books are of the utmost importance. And whoever can get them, they will really be helpful in what we are studying now. سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك أشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت استغفرك وأتوب إليك